Welcome. You are listening to the Upper Room Podcast. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit URFellowship.com. Staying cool? I'm just going to keep yelling. We have four change for a dollar envelopes today. That's awesome. Tom and Julie Dorn. The Angles. Yeah, Angles here. Oh, there. The Brammer family. Denise Coleman. Is Denise here? Is Brammer's here? Brammer's here? Huh. There you go. And Coleman. Denise is over here? Okay. Don't worry. I'll run it around. That's fine. That's cool. You listen to the podcast noise. Sounds like I ran a marathon after I gave out the change for a dollar envelopes. Hey, good morning. I'm Chris. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. This is a great Sunday to be here, um, or to be listening to the podcast, because we are beginning a brand new series. Uh, The way we do series here is we pick a topic, we talk about it for several weeks, say everything we know about it, and then move on. It's pretty straightforward. So this is a a great time to be here. If if this is your first time with us, or your first time joining us on the podcast. Uh, So to kind of get our heads around the topic that we're going to talk about today, I want to do a little word association. So here we go. Everybody knows what an, uh, let's say, an Egyptian is, right? Right. Somebody from Egypt. Everybody knows what a golfer is, right? Everybody knows what a fireman is, right? So those we have kind of a good handle on. Okay, what about this word? This word, Christian. What's a Christian? You know, if we divided you up into a group of ten and said, everybody, real quick, look around your little group there. Answer the question, what is a Christian? I think we are going to get a few different answers. If somebody were to walk up to you on the street and say, are you a Christian? Some of you would say, yes. Some of you would say, well, what do you mean? Some of you would say, yes, but. Some of you would say, no, but. Right? Maybe some of you were told you are a Christian because you were baptized. You don't remember it, but we, you know, we baptized you, so you're a Christian. Some of you were told that uh, once you finished a class or some sort of confirmation, you were a Christian. So, so we've got all these kind of different views. So depending on how you, raise, you were raised, you know, there's all these different brands of Christianity. Then some of you would say this. You would say, well, I was a Christian. I was a Christian. I was raised in a Christian family. Or when I was a teenager, I went forward at some revival service because they told some scary crash, uh, car crash story. And I went down there and I prayed that prayer. And so for a while I was a Christian, but I'm not one anymore. And there's, there's this group that would say, no, 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 no. There's no such thing as was a Christian, right? Because once a Christian, always a Christian. Then there's some of you who would say, yeah, but there's, you know, there, there is such a thing as was a Christian. Because you were taught this. You could become a Christian, but if you committed certain sins, you were a was Christian, right? And you remember being 16, coming home from that date, you know, where, you, where some not-so-Christian things happened, and you were driving five miles an hour below the speed limit, 
Because the way you were taught, if you were killed in a car crash, you would probably split hell wide open at that point, right? And so you got home and you got down on your knees and said, God, I want to be, be a Christian again. I'm back. I'm so back. Because you lived in this constant state of, am I or, or aren't I? Maybe some of you, you were raised in a tradition where to be a Christian was all about the sinner's prayer. And you prayed that prayer a hundred times. You thought it was like Tylenol or Motrin or something. I'm not sure it took. I'm waiting for it to kick in, so I'm just going to pray it again. Because you don't know. For some people, Christians are all about what you believe. For others, they would say, no, it's how you behave. No, it's what you believe. No, it's how you behave. Christian. I mean, here's this term we use all the time. Here's a term many of us would associate ourselves with. And yet there's all these approaches and definitions. And then there's maybe some of you here that if you're really honest, you would say, well, I, I hate Christian. I hate anything with the word Christian on it. In fact, maybe you would even say this. Here's what I hear a lot. You would say this. Christians are judgmental, homophobic, moralists who think that they are the only ones going to heaven and that they secretly relish the fact that everyone else is going to hell. Can I get an amen? Yeah, this, this is the view many people have about us. And if you don't feel this way, I bet you you know people who do. That's why when somebody walks up to you on the street, which, which they never would, but if somebody walked up to you and said, are you a Christian? You would be like, can I qualify that a little bit? Now here's the good news and the bad news. The good news is none of what we just talked about is described in the Bible as Christian. So I'm glad that you're here. And in fact, after today's message, some of you, you're going to go home and get, on your, get your Bible out and say, okay, there's no way in the world that guy told us the truth today. Right? And I think if it drives you to open your Bible, success. I get a gold medal. Some of you are going to call your real pastor because you don't think of me as your real pastor, and you're going to say, I need to make an appointment. There's no way this, 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 this stuff is true. Because here's what we're about to discover. Let me just jump in. The term Christian and all its derivatives, Christian, Christianity, singular, plural, it only appears three times in the Bible. Only three times, and it's not defined. Um, in fact, what we're going to discover today is that the term Christian was actually a derogatory term that people who were outside this Jesus community used to describe the Jesus community. The Jesus community never used it to describe themselves. It was like, like geek or redneck, right? It was actually way worse than that, but all the worst ones that I could use would offend somebody, so, and you would leave. So I didn't want to use them. So you just think about these terms we use to describe groups of people. People on the outside look at this group of people. They all act the same way, have the same habits, dress the same way, listen to the same music. And people eventually come up with a term that goes, yeah, you're, you're one of those. That's actually where this term, Christian, came from. That's why it's only used three times in the New Testament. And all three times when you read them, obviously it's outsiders describing this group of people who were all acting the same way and following the same person. So I want to show you an example of that. I think this, this verse describes it best. It's found in the book of Acts. Let me kind of tell you what's going on. The book of Acts is this ancient manuscript that describes what happened after Jesus left. It tells us how the church got started, kind of how we got here. <clears throat> in this particular portion, one of the things that happened after Jesus left is uh, uh, persecution in Jerusalem broke out against the followers of Jesus there. So these people, they, they scattered some of them went to a city in modern-day Turkey called Antioch. 
Uh, it was a long way away. They got there and they started telling people, hey, God has done something miraculous in the city of Jerusalem. A man actually rose from the dead. We saw him. And actually, a lot of people saw this happen. So, so a bunch of people in the city of Antioch embraced this new kind of uh, knockoff religion from Judaism. And all of a sudden, the church got started in Antioch. <clears throat> well, word gets back to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, you had you know, Peter, John, Matthew, all these guys. Jesus, the bro- G- James, the brother of Jesus, was there. Well, they find out about this thing going on in Antioch. And so they get one of their guys, Barnabas. They say, Barnabas, I need you to go to Antioch. Check this thing out. Is this like a real deal? And so Barnabas goes to Antioch, a long way away. He gets there, and there's so many people who have embraced the story of Jesus. He's like, I need some reinforcements. So he decides to go get super follower of Jesus, Saul, who is eventually going to be called Paul, who eventually writes a bunch of letters uh, that make up the New Testament, and, and he planted a bunch of churches. Saul was visiting his hometown at the time. Anybody know where Saul was from? Tarsus. Yeah, that's right. Saul of Tarsus. And so Barnabas goes to Tarsus to find Saul, to bring him back to Antioch to be the reinforcements, because there's so many believers in Antioch. And there's this little snippet of scripture that gives us an insight into where this whole word Christian came from. So here it is, Acts 11, 25 and 26. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. So all people embraced the message of Jesus in Antioch, and he he taught a great number of people. And then check this out, this next phrase. This is Dr. Luke, who you know is taking notes throughout this whole period of history. Here's what he says. Verse 26, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So the disciples were called by whom? By the people looking at this whole thing. They were first called Christians. They didn't call themselves Christians. They were first called Christians at Antioch. It was a term. It was a label put on them. Now we get further evidence of this from a really kind of fast-hitting piece of history that's not in your Bible. Uh, Some of you are familiar with the, the Roman historian Tacitus. Uh, somewhere back in college, you read something about Tacitus. Tacitus wrote in the late first century, and he wrote primarily about four or five emperors. Uh, one of those em- Roman emperors who he wrote about was Nero. Uh, most of what we know about Nero we got from the writings of Tacitus. Now, Nero was not exactly known for being a level-headed fella. Uh, so Nero, being Nero, did something crazy in 64 AD. He decided he wanted to start the city over. And so, not being someone who thinks about the consequences of his actions, he decided that the fastest and most efficient way to do that was just to burn down the old one. So he burns down Rome. Needless to say, that didn't go very well, right? Because he burned down many people's homes and businesses. And so Nero decided to blame that on who? Christians, right? You know that because of what I'm about to read from you, to you from this little passage from Tacitus, written in the late first century. Listen to how he describes this event. This is Tacitus. Here's what he says. Consequently, I think we have a slide here. Yep, good. To get rid of the report, so that's the report uh, being that Nero burned down his own city. Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abomination. We'll talk about that later. Called Christians. By who? The populace. Christians didn't call themselves Christians. Christians called themselves something else. The outsiders looking in, they coined this term, Christians. Tacitus goes on, this is kind of interesting. Christus, from whom the name had its origin. 
Now, this is interesting. You see, these are Roman people looking at this Jewish knockoff religion, and they kept hearing Christ, Christ, Christus. And so they decided it must be Jesus' last name. Like there was James Christ, Mary Christ, and Jesus Christ. It wasn't a name, was it? It was a title, Jesus the Christ. The Hebrew word for Messiah translated into Greek is where we get Christ. So because these were Greek-speaking people, because the church was growing in the Greek-speaking world, they didn't talk about the Messiah at all because they, the Greeks weren't waiting for a Messiah. They just talked about Christ. We worship Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. So as foreigner listens to all this, they surmise, well, maybe that's his last name. When really the whole movement was named after the word Messiah. Okay, so Tacitus says, Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius, which is what the New Testament says, that Tiberius was the emperor of Rome during the time of Jesus. At the hands of one of our procreators, procurators, Pontius Pilatus. Or other translations say Pontius Pilate. There it is, written in the first century. He says, oh yeah, let me tell you about something out in Judea. You know that place where there's always trouble. There was a guy who stirred up trouble, but Pontius Pilate had him put to death. Now the point of all this is this. That these were outsiders looking at this movement, trying to come up with a name for it. And they called these people Christians. But Christians didn't call themselves Christians. They called themselves something far more scary something far more defined, something far more disturbing, something far more convicting than Christian. One of the reasons that you can't get five people to define Christian the same way, one of the reasons there are so many facets of Christianity, one of the reasons you get people on both sides of of just about every issue, right? Think about it. Every single issue, there are Christians on both sides. The reason there are so many denominations The reasons we can't get along is because Christian and Christianity is not defined in the New Testament. You can be a Christian and believe and do just about anything. And nobody can go to the Bible and go, Aha! It says right here, Christians should and Christians shouldn't. Because the New Testament doesn't say anything about Christians. Except for the verse I just read you. They were called Christians. There's another when Peter talked about being persecuted as a a Christian. And then one time Paul is at a trial... And the king that he's giving his case to says, you're not trying to make me a Christian, are you? It was a derogatory term. When you look into the New Testament, the Gospels, the book of Acts specifically, there's a term that's used very, very, very consistently to describe these people that were part of this Jesus movement. It's the name of our series. It's a scary term. The term disciple. And the reason this is a scary term is because it is so clearly defined. You can hide behind Christianity all day long. You can go to war in the name of Christianity. You can do all kinds of things in the name of Christianity. You can define it, redefine it, misdefine it, undefine it. You can do all kinds of stuff with Christian. But if you open your New Testament and start looking at this world disciple, you're going to see this word over and over and over again. Now, what is a disciple? Well, the English word disciple means the same thing as the Greek word disciple, mathetes. It simply means a learner, a pupil, an apprentice, or follower. A disciple is a person that does this, okay? They go, I'm, I'm trying to make a decision. How would you handle this? That's how I'll handle it. I'm trying to decide how to respond to this situation. How would you respond to that situation? 
Oh, that's how I will respond to the situation. What would you do if you were me? Then that's what I'm going to do. Where are you going? Then that's where I'm going to go to. How would you react to this? How do you live your life? How do you manage relationships? Oh, then that's how I'll live my life. That's how I'll manage my relationships. A disciple is the person that's looking to someone to say, give me direction. Show me how to live my life. And I want you to know that I'm going to do it how you want me to do it before you even give me the answer. Now, what is it that you think I should do? See, that's different than Christian, isn't it? The word disciple is uncomfortable because it's kind of hard to dodge the word or redefine disciple. Here's some other examples. Just again, you find them throughout the New Testament. Acts 6-7. So the word of God spread the number of, not Christians, disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Then here's one about the Apostle Paul. This is pretty interesting. Acts 9-26. When he came to Jerusalem, Paul now, now remember Paul persecuted the church. He murdered people. He put people in prison. He was trying to get rid of the church. Then he became a follower of Jesus. And so the people who were followers of Jesus, they didn't trust him. Because they think, oh, you're just trying to infiltrate so you can have us all arrested. So he decides to try to join the church. Acts 9.26, when he, Paul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. This isn't the 12 disciples. That's really the apostles, right? This is just general, a general group of people who follow Jesus. When he, the apostle Paul, tried to join the disciples, not Christians, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. That's how they described themselves. And there was no distinction between men and women when it came to being a disciple. Acts 9.36, in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha who was always doing good and helping the poor. So we're just getting started, but the point so far in this series is we can hide behind the word Christian. But if you look into the New Testament and you ask the question, what were these people really about and how did they describe themselves? They refer to themselves and to each other as disciples. Which brings us to this scary question. And it's this. Are we disciples? Or are we just Christians? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Or are you just a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? Is, this, is, is, is your answer yes, Jesus? It doesn't matter what the question is. It's yes. Or are you a, or are you a Christian? Christian. See, that's a little bit scary, isn't it? So what I want to do is I want to now take you to a moment in time with Jesus where he speaks directly to people who want to be disciples. And he gives them kind of this, okay, if you're going to be a disciple, here's the bottom line. Here are the, your specific marching orders. And this isn't new information. If you grew up in church, what I'm about to read to you, you've probably read or heard a thousand times. This isn't like, wow, I didn't know that was in there. It's not one of those verses, but here's what I, what, what I do think. If we had gotten this right, if the Christians had decided, forget Christian, I'm going to be a disciple. If we had just gotten what I'm about to read, just this one element of Jesus' teaching, if we had just gotten this one part of being a disciple right, there may not have been the First World War. There definitely would not have been the Second World War. There would have been no civil war in this country. Slavery would have put, been put to rest long before it was. And there would have been no need to be for a civil rights movement in this nation. I believe that. If the followers of Jesus had actually followed not the whole New Testament, not everything the Apostle Paul taught, if we had just gotten this one 
teaching of Jesus right, our world and our nation in particular would be a different and better place. So here's what happens. Jesus is at the end of his ministry, and he's about to have the last Passover with his Jewish followers, uh, the apostles. Judas had already left to go betray him. So Jesus, is, Jesus realizes, I'm running out of time. And there are just a couple things I've got to tell these guys before I'm, I'm crucified and exit this planet. So this is that. You know this if you've got kids, uh, and they're going to go do something without you. Okay, okay kids, remember Dad said, uh, there, are, there are three, well, there, there's four, uh, there's, there's five. Don't, don't ever forget these six things. Uh, it's, it's like, here are, you know, these lessons before your, your kids leave. So Jesus is like, okay, here it is. Here's the one thing you got to get right. Here's what he said. John 13, 33. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. We're running out of time, so listen closely. You will look for me, just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. A new command. The little Greek word for new here means unusual, strange, odd, and impractical. A new command, an odd command, an impractical command I give you. John thirteen thirty four. A new command I give you, love one another. Love one another. I bet John's like, that's not new. I mean, that's Old Testament. We've even heard you say this before. Love one another. But then he elaborates. He says this. John 13, 34. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Okay, now it's defined. If you're a disciple, then you have to live like I live. You have to love like I love. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And I can just see Jesus sitting down with these guys going, you remember when we met Matthew? Remember what you were doing? Tax collector. Yeah, you were a traitor. Everybody hated you, Matthew. Peter, you remember that day we met Matthew? Remember how you guys didn't even want to talk to Matthew because he was a traitor? He was a tax collector? Remember the conflict between all you guys and Matthew? Remember how we managed that. Remember how I loved Matthew. Now that's what I want you, to, you guys to do. I want you to love each other that way. Nathaniel, remember when we first, that first day we met? You remember, in fact, the rest of you guys, you don't know this deal about Nathaniel. His brother, his, his brother is here, eyewitness, went to get Nathaniel and said, Nathaniel, I met the Messiah. You've got to come meet this guy. You've got to come meet this guy. He's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel... You remember what you said? And Nathaniel's hanging his head and he's going, could anything good come from Nazareth? Right, yeah. You dissed my whole entire family, Nathaniel. (laughs) And do you remember how I treated you? I said, come on and follow me. You're one of my guys. That's how I want you to love each other. You guys remember that day I did the sermon where I talked about drink my blood and eat my body? And it was just weird. And people were getting up and leaving, and everybody was abandoning us. You remember that day? Every single one of you wanted to leave me. Every single one of you wanted to get up and fade into the crowd and be done with me. And I knew it. You remember that day? You remember how I treated you? Remember how I accepted you? Remember how I forgave you, even though you were about to leave me? 
I want you to love one another like that. That's what I want to characterize your relationship with each other. Then he said this, John 13, 35. By this, by this one thing, everyone will know that you're my disciple if you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciple. Christians, we can all be Christians. Love each other the way that Jesus loved those guys. Oh, now I'm, now I'm, now I'm like in a subset, aren't I? I'm in a much smaller category. By this one thing, everyone will know that you're my disciples. And just in case you missed it, if you love one another. So I know you're all Christians. Are you disciples? Jesus is saying the one thing, the litmus test, the bottom line, the defining characteristic of the people that follow me are not going to be how much they know about me or how loud they sing or how long they pray. It's going to be all about if they love one another. I mean, this is, this is a big deal. And then Peter raises his hand. Yeah, Peter, what's on your mind? John 13, 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? What? I think if Jesus could be confused, he would be confused here. Yeah, yeah, love stuff, awesome. But wait a minute, where are you going? I want to know where you're going. Because I want to go with you. It's like, Peter, did you just miss the whole point of this lesson? Peter's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go with you. I'm willing to die for you. I want to be seen with you. You can't leave me. I'm going to go with you. Later, Jesus said, Peter, in a few hours, a middle school girl is going to intimidate you into denying you even knew me. Peter's like, no, 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 I'm willing to die for you. Peter, I don't want you to die for me. I don't want you to go where I'm going. I want you to do something way more difficult than all that. I want you to love these guys for the rest of your life. I want you to love them in a way that people look at your relationship. People on the outside look at your relationship, the way you love each other, and I want them to be drawn to the edge of that and say, look how they love each other. And I want you to create a community of people that are defined and characterized by this kind of unconditional, generous, compassionate, ridiculous, impractical, who would do that kind of love. I want people on the outside to come to the edge unafraid that they're going to be asked to do something, unafraid that you're going to drag them in, unafraid that you're going to accuse them of something. I want them to be able to come to the edge of your community and look in and say, look how the men treat the women. Well, look at how the women treat the men. Look at how they treat widows. Look at how they treat sick people. Look at how they even honor children. Look at what they do with their money. Look at them love. And Jesus said, I want you to go and build communities like that. And they're going to grow and expand. And people from the outside are going to be drawn to the edge. And they're going to think, I don't know if I want to become one of those, but I would like to work for one. Or I'd hire all I could. I don't know if I'd ever want to be one, but I would love to think that someone would treat my daughter the way that those men treat their wives. I know that I would... I don't know that I would ever want to be one, but I would love to think that my son would marry a woman who would honor her husband the way those women honor their husbands. I don't know that I ever want to be one, but I'd love to work for one. Look at the way they love. Can you imagine? If we just got this one thing right, if we just decided, forget Christian, 
We're going to be disciples that decide, you know what? I want to love the people around me the way Jesus treated those that followed him. Can you imagine what would happen in our nation if for the next three or six months, people who said, I believe in Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm just going to love people around me the way that Jesus loved the people around him in the way that Jesus loved. We're just going to have a big love fest. We're going to be like ridiculous lovers of each other. We're going to serve. We're going to be generous. We're just going to go all out loving on, on each other. Can you imagine? Can you imagine where our world would be if we had just gotten this one thing right? And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew, oh, there are all kinds of stuff. You know, there's all kinds of stuff. We can talk about marriage, kids, sex, money. We can talk about all that stuff. But hey, by this one thing, this is the distinguishing characteristic. This is how they're going to know that you're really my disciple, how you love each other. Woo! Now, we're going to jump to a different subject next week, but before we leave today, I uh, just want to say two things. Number one, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should try this this week, okay? Like, I know your wife is a wreck. I know your husband is a moron, and I know your teenagers are teenagers, and your, your parents haven't had an original thought since the 1960s. Uh, I realize you're surrounded by idiots. You are. Everyone is an idiot but you. I've realized this. You are the only balanced person you know. I recognize that. What would it look like in your world to love those people the way that Jesus loved you? Again, if you read the Gospels, how many times? Okay, Jesus, he's perfect. He can read minds, knows the human heart, and he's surrounded by people like Peter. Hey, where are you going? He didn't use any of that as an excuse. So what if just for the next week you decide, okay, I'm not, I'm not taking my cue from anybody around me about how I treat them. To the best of my ability, by God's grace, I'm going to be a ridiculous lover of people. Just try it. Now, it's not going to work out. It's not all going to work out. I mean, Jesus was crucified, so get ready. It's not going to come back to you you know, Chris, I tried it for 10 days. My wife is a different person. It's probably not going to happen. Right? This isn't a means to an end. This isn't, I'm going to fix, I'm going to try to fix you. It's none of that. This is simply what it means to follow Jesus. This is way better than Christianity. This is disciple. And we'll see in a few weeks, this is how the world changed. This is how an empire was toppled without an army, without raising a shield or sword. Because people crept to the edges of this new, odd, unusual, impractical Jesus community and went. Look how they treat each other. I'm not sure I believe, but I'd like to be a part of that. The second thing I want to say this to those of you who, because of what you have experienced and heard and seen, think that Christians are narrow-minded, homophobic, greedy, judgmental, and hope everybody goes to hell, I'll say this. If I'd have seen what you have seen, if I'd have experienced what you have experienced, if I'd have grown up in your family, if I'd have seen the way your dad treated your mom, if I'd have been around the church you grew up in, I have no doubt I would feel the exact same way. So I don't judge you. That doesn't bother me at all. I understand that. But here's my hope for you. 
No one will probably ever be able to redefine Christian for you in such a way that you're like, yeah, I want to be one of those. That's not even the goal. But I just hope with all that you've seen and experienced and all your hesitation about anything Christian, I hope that you won't miss Jesus. Because Jesus, Jesus my Savior, puts us all on common ground. And the thing that you hate about me and the thing that you hate about us is part of what you hate about yourself. And that's the fact that all of us fall short. Not, not just to God's standards. We fall short of our own standards. I'm not even consistent with what I believe. You're not even consistent with what you believe. So there's common ground, whether we're Christian or non-Christian. So we've all got to figure out what to do with our failure, what to do with our sin, what to do with our disappointment, what to do with ourselves, what to do with that chasm, that vacuum, that distance that sometimes we feel from God. And I would hate the fact that Christianity has been so poorly represented to you that you miss what Jesus has done for you. And I don't say that because I think I'm better than anybody. I just say that because I, as I read the New Testament and as I read the Gospels, it came that we all might have life and have it abundantly. And the other thing I hope for you, if you're in that category, I hope that you'll come back next week because we're just getting started with this series, Disciple. Greg, you want to finish up? If I could have the ministry team come forward. <clears throat> We're going to be released in just a little bit, and uh, some of you will go home, and some of you, hopefully a lot of you stay for the lunch. But what happens up here is really significant. So don't leave if you need some prayer. There's a lot that went on today. Chris, that word was amazing. Martin and I have an expression in our house, and it's kind of funny, and you can hear the story why we say it. We'll go, I didn't know that. There was a lot of, I didn't know that. That's a revelation. That's good stuff. And in that revelation, I didn't know that. You want to know that. <laughs> you want to experience that. Whatever level that is, how God was speaking to you in that word, come up for prayer. Ron had a very powerful prophetic word. There was a lot in that, but there was a gift that God was offering to us through that word that Ron shared. And let me just read those words. I think I got it correct. Thank you, Rich. Wrote this down, gave, gave them to me. Joy. Peace. Love. Truth. And faith. He encouraged us to speak that word and accept that gift. If, that's, if, that, if that resonates with you, that's another area as well as just a blessing. I mean, whatever. If it's just a, a, need, a need in your life, you, you need prayer. So I'm going to close here, um, pray with that word, but also for the food that we're about to eat. And now let's look at that lunch as a love feast. It's a love feast. So thank you, Father, for that which we have partaken today. You feed us in so many ways. Thank you, Father, for the worship that was so rich and powerful. Thank you, Father, for all that transpired in the classes today, the equipping of the saints for our works of service. Thank you, Father, for the word that was shared today that came from you and the prophetic word. 
Rich's word, Chris's word. It's all, it's really you speaking to us and we receive that. I pray a blessing upon that as we now mull that over and process that and think about that. It becomes us, Lord. And, and, and the, the, the food that we're about to eat, I ask you to bless those who have prepared it and those who are even now right preparing it by cooking the meat and we're going we're gonna to fellowship together and that it really would be a, a love feast as we just enjoy one another's company. Bless us all as we go and um, encounter you as we see you working in others' lives out there being your disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Blessings upon you as you go this week.